Support for this show comes from Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence and Loom help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com. That's A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian. Michael Kist. Are you copying that listening again? Benjamin Solak. You never listen. It's the Kist and Solak Show. Presented by SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. You are flying high on the Kist and Solak Show. This is episode 154, brought to you by the fine folk at SB Nation, Bleeding Green Nation. I am your host, Michael Kist. Follow me on Twitter at MichaelKistNFL. That's K-I-S-T. As always, joined by the best doggone co-host in the game, Mr. Nine Year Streak Without a Bad Day. He is Benjamin Solak. Follow him on Twitter at Benjamin Solak. That's S-O-L-A-K. Ben, I am ready to elevate my teammate today. This is going to be a great podcast. How you doing, brother? Mike, I'm here to elevate. Uh, it's important that I elevate my teammates. You know, when, when I step out onto that field, I just I want to elevate that. I want my teammates to be elevated <laughs> is how I want that to go. I want it, them to be here. And then I play, and then they're here, which is higher than where the first tier was because they've been elevated. I love my teammates. Everything is delicious. Cortland Sutton, official friend of the podcast. Cortland Sutton, come on the show. Cortland Sutton, one of my favorite wide receivers in that class. The thing that we're referring to here is a reporter had asked Cortland Sutton, quote, how does Drew Locke's game help you elevate your game? And this goes into this discussion that we often talk about with like, how do quarterbacks elevate the teammates around them? And this, you know, this is beyond Philly. This is just a talking point I hate for all quarterbacks. But Cortland Sutton, with the best response in the history of man to this question, Cortland Sutton says, quote, he plays quarterback. I play receiver. He throws me the ball. Unquote. Which, like, <laughs> firstly, massive Joe Flacco shade, question mark. If so, very happy. Mm. But secondly, this, right, this just as a as a good exemplar of how we experience this, you know, does Carson Wentz elevate his teammates around him? What does that mean right you got to be able to tell me what that means before i answer the question because it's like oh like the wide receivers play better when Foles is in i don't like dispute that but until you can describe for me the mechanics the energy that goes in and the the particular levers that are pulled and buttons that are pressed in order to make it happen it's really not very interesting to me because there's nothing i can do about it Mm. there's no way i can measure it figure it out it change it improve it refine it anything so Carson Wentz doesn't elevate his teammates. Drew Locke elevates Cortland Sutton. I elevate Mike. Like I like I don't I I I don't know what this means. And so it's just it's empty words. These are just words. And, and the, the way that Sutton put it, I play receiver. He throws me the ball. Yeah, that's how that's supposed to work. One right. person has one job. The other person has a second job. The first person does their job. And if the second person doesn't do their job, it doesn't mean the first person didn't do their job. Right. I would argue that like. On the one game sample size we have of Drew Locke, <laughs> who was more beneficial? Cortland Sutton to Drew Locke or Drew Locke to Cortland Sutton? Sutton. Mm, I don't know. Drew Locke threw for five yards per attempt, generally was awful, 
and his best plays came because Cortland Sutton has unbelievable hands. Yeah. So if I'm understanding the concept of elevating your teammates correctly, I think Sutton made Locke look a lot better than Locke made Sutton look. I 100% agree. You know, it's a different launch pad. It's a different springboard for us to enter the conversation of what, like, the different ways we talk about Carson Wentz in the quarterback position, which are actionable, which are interesting, and which are not. Dialing back on just the phrase itself and what it means. Elevate your teammates. It's a buzz phrase. It does not mean anything. They are hollow words. You quote unquote elevate your teammates by putting them into a position to succeed. You do your job. That's the phrase. That should be the phrase. Do your job. For quarterbacks, if you do that and the others do theirs, boom, both of you did your job. That's great. Show me an example where Wentz did his job but the receiver failed him and tell me exactly how he's supposed to elevate them. Give me one doggone example of how that makes sense in the context of which it's often cited, which is the performance of the players around him. Show me the film of that and lay it out for me because you can't because it's malarkey of the highest order. It's a phrase peddled by those that don't know what the hell they're talking about. So they use it as a substitute for meaningful analysis. Elevate your teammates. Are you high? This is nonsense. Drum circle, baby town frolics, just gobbledygook. If you can't talk about what's really going on, just shut up and stay out of the debate because you're full of shit. Nobody knows what the hell it means. And nobody is learning anything from you when you say it. You're a useless part of the conversation. Either contextualize what it means in a way that actually makes sense or stop spewing garbage. It's not hard. You elevate your teammates, dumbass. Yeah. Everyone should be elevating everybody else. Live a happy life. That's our talk on what it means to elevate your teammates. Ben. This is not about uh, elevating your teammates. This is going to be a preview of the Eagles and Giants, the first of two, as we do every week. Unfortunately, family issues kept us from doing that last week, along with uh, the holidays. But we're going to get into this. We're going to preview the Giants offense against the Philadelphia Eagles defense. If we're willing to call it that. And, and a quick word, obviously, the QB Sco show dealt with the, the update that Eli Manning is very likely to play instead of Daniel Jones, Daniel Jones dealing with an ankle injury. But before we really get into the Giants, I did want to talk about something that I put up on uh, on, on Twitter today about the Eagles defense. Let's just kind of take a 10,000 foot view at what this Eagles defense is right now. We'll go through some stats and we'll kind of contextualize them right there. So in DVOA, Football Outsiders, they're 13th, which is fine. That's average. They're 8th against the run, 15th against the pass. Points per game, 23.7. That's 20th. In the red zone, where Jim Schwartz is typically robust, they're allowing touchdowns on 61% of those trips. That's 26th in the league. That was a really good usage of robust. I like that a lot. <laughs> anyway, don't want to interrupt your flow. That was good. Keep it rolling. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Their touchdown drive frequency, 25%. That's 25th in the league. Their turnover drive frequency, 11.8%. That's 18th in the league. Third down, they're actually a little bit better. 37%. That's 13th in the league. The problem is, and I think the reason why people think that the Eagles' third down defense is so bad, is that even when they do get a stop on fourth down, they're allowing two out of every three fourth down attempts to be converted. That's yeah. 29th in the league. And I put on Twitter, it's a below average defense. It bends, and then it breaks in like the highest leverage situations possible. Red zone, fourth down just snap in their own back. And look, we've talked about this before, and I want to really want to dial back on it because we shouted about it two months ago. We did a pod that was called uh, Six is More Than Four, Jimbo, because we were talking about the Eagles' just philosophy of stopping the run. They're third in adjusted line yards against the run, their defense is. They're tied seventh in yards per carry. 
more than anybody else, they put opposing running backs at the top of Next Gen Stats' eight-plus man box column. And just an example of that, just in the last four weeks, guys that saw eight-plus man boxes, week nine, David Montgomery of the Bears, 79% of the time saw eight-plus man box. Week 11, Sony Michelle, 60%. Week 12, Rashad Penny, 50%. Week 13, Patrick Laird, Layard, I, can't, I don't even know how to pronounce his name. Laird. 70% of the time. It has gotten worse since we started yelling about it. We already know they stack the box more than any other team against 11 personnel. This is a team that is dedicated to stopping the run. The only thing you have to do to beat them, as Miami showed, all you have to do is test them through the air. That's it. You have to be willing to throw it up, let your guys make plays, because the Eagles can't make plays in the air. You have to be willing to test them because they're going to have a communication bust, as we saw a, a, a bunch of them over the past few weeks. This is why I was skeptical of this defense, even when they had their good run. Film don't lie, and the ball don't lie. Eagles got torched by a bad offense because they were just willing to throw the ball. That was it. This boils back down to, as you said, you know, we did the podcast six is more than four. What... Do you, whenever we we do these preview pods, right? Whenever I start talking about the offense, you can like go back and listen. I always open with the question. So what do they want to do? Like, how do they want to get you? Like, what is it that they, they want to accomplish? Because every offense is drawn on a vacuum to beat you in these ways, right? Like, you know, the Eagles offense wants to beat you in the quick game. They want to win leverage one-on-one situations. They want to be able to throw their big receivers open against man coverage. They want to be able to nickel and dime you down the field. It's what they want to do. What does the uh, the Arizona Cardinals air raid offense want to do? They want to spread you out. They want to get the ball to their athletes in space. They want to uh, extend the, uh, the, their their life with their quarterback in the pocket. They want to introduce the quarterback running game, whatever. Defensively, it's a harder question to ask because what you want to do as a defense typically changes a bit based off of the team that you're facing. And the, the paramount uh, of defense, the apex of defense, the New England Patriots, what they want to do is just take away whatever you're best at. And that's why they're one of the most that's why they're one of the most successful defenses perennially, not just this year, but always under Belichick, is because they're fluid. They address that at which you're good, and they force you to win with that at which you're not as good. Only when you have a cheat code such as Lamar Jackson are you able to, to beat this system. Okay. Schwartz has something that he wants to do on defense. He has a, an object in mind that dictates how he deploys his defense. That object of mine, as we've discussed, is he wants to be plus one in the box. Mm-hmm. Not even stop the run. Right. We're not even there yet. Really, I think that's where we end up. Because it's not like, if I'm plus one in the box, I win. It's, okay, in order for me to stop the run, I have to be plus one in the box. And I want to be able to stop the run. I don't want teams to out-physical me. I want to be able to let my pass rushers one gap and get after the quarterback. And so accordingly, I must be plus one in the box to not get gashed by the run, to allow my pass rushers to tee off and to penetrate in one gap. Remember, when we say plus one in the box, five offensive linemen, a tight end, and six potential blockers if you've got a quarterback and a running back. Now, if the quarterback is a threat to keep the ball, Mm. this is a whole different conversation. But six potential blockers and then the runner. With six blockers, we have seven gaps. There's one in between each blocker there's five and then there's one on the outside of the leftmost on the outside of the rightmost seven gaps the eagles will have seven players in the box against a six-man surface against six potential blockers because that way we have one player for every gap and we can stop the run accordingly where does this extra player this plus one in the box come from he comes from the deep safeties Mm -hmm. he comes from the defensive backfield you do not play too high when you're going to be plus one in the box. It's very, very difficult to do. 
So you're going to have a single high safety. Well, if you're going to have a single high safety, your corners need to be responsible for the deep outside areas of the field. So you put them in off coverage. And now we've arrived at why can the Eagles knock it off the field on third and three? Because mm-hmm. imagine the Eagles defense, the box as a fist. And then outside of the way outside of that fist, you've got your corners. There's all this space in between those three defenders in front of the deep safety, in front of the corners, between the corners and the end man on the line of scrimmage. There is all this space in which these offenses have access to very free access as well. We see it all the time. I mean, you throw an inside slant against the Eagles, <laughs> you're going to complete that bad boy. No one's getting to the flat, especially against play action, because those linebackers flow so doggone hard. So we arrive at the place of off coverage, eight-yard cushions against outside receivers. If you want this space, it's here. We will step up, rally, and tackle. This is a problem, and we ask for more press coverage. We get it. The Eagles' corners are not talented enough or designed drafted, taught, body type prototyped into playing press coverage. Mm. They don't have those bodies. You don't want Jalen Mills in press. You kind of do want Jalen Mills in press because he's not fast. But that's a problem regardless of where you put him, right? And he can't turn and run. So even when he's in press where he's got pretty poor technique, he can't stay connected. So this is not like, you know, you always circle back to the Legion of Boom in the early 2010s. Mm. This was a team that was plus one in the box, invariably. Because they had corners who they could put up at the line of scrimmage and win at the line. Byron Maxwell, Richard Sherman, that other dude, who were long, who were physical, yep. who could address the ball in the air, who could run the receivers down the field. And then you have tremendous cover safeties and tremendous cover right. linebackers on top of it. Right. Then you have <laughs> Cam Chancellor, ungodly <laughs> in the middle of the field, yeah. and Earl Thomas, who literally is the is is the solution yeah to every problem you yep. know how do you you know like somebody asked me like how would you defend lamar I'd be like i would have prime earl thomas <laughs> that's 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 the scheme i would run is the earl thomas scheme like that's just what you need the eagles play with their corners on islands they try to get them up in the line of scrimmage and they can't survive the miami game they try to keep them back off the line of scrimmage and they consistently give up nickel and dime passes all the way up the field the atlanta game mm-hmm. uh earlier this year even Minnesota last year when they right. went quick game, all game, yep. And your solution to, to not being killed in the passing game is, well, we're going to have to take a player out of the box, go too high, protect our corners deep, allow them to play shallow zones, mm-hmm. or completely overhaul the position. Mm. Or don't do either of those things, continue being really good at defending the run, and continue <laughs> losing games like you lost to Miami, which is the choice. Yep. And it's been the choice for years. Yeah. Four years. This is not like, oh... Ben and Mike are upset because the Eagles are 5-7. and seven. 2017, the Eagles won the Super Bowl. We were talking about this. Big time. You know, Schwartz has chosen how he's going to lose and how he's going to win. He's going to win by stopping the run, and he's going to lose when, when his corners can't win in one-on-one situations. Unfortunately, he has bad corners, and passing is far more effective than running. And I say unfortunately as if that's somehow out of his control. <laughs> it's not. So, all of this going to say... The Eagles lost to the Miami Dolphins. They were 2-9 and nine coming into the game. They were laughing stock of the league. They've been tanking. They've been playing better recently. Still averaged 14.8 points per game coming into right. this one on offense. So they lost the Miami Dolphins. Why? It's very simple. It's because a, a, a veteran quarterback who has been successful against Jim Schwartz historically in his career. Let's not forget Ryan Fitzpatrick was in the AFC mm. playing against Jim Schwartz. Knows the defense. Understood what he needed to take. 
in order to beat the Eagles. And it was fourth and four one-on-one shots with Devontae Parker that if you run that play a hundred times, it converts 35, it converts 40, it's incomplete 55. And on the other three, the other two, whatever, it's touchdown. And they got the touchdown. Mm. And then it's, it's, you know, the, the extra half second of the pass rush to Mike Dissigi. Like, obviously, they, a lot of nice things broke the Dolphins' way that hadn't been breaking the Dolphins' way previously. But the Eagles did not have to be in that situation. They were because of the choices philosophically made in the defensive organization. And that is, to me, indisputable. Which, I'm sure if somebody asked Schwartz flat out, hey, why are you obsessed with stopping the run when you keep losing to the pass? He would deny it. But this is just, this is what you see on the film. And this is where, if you're willing to pass the football against Philadelphia, understanding the limitations of the outside corners, you will put up 30. And the Eagles offense needs to match that in order for the Eagles to win. Brings us to New York. Eli Manning starting a quarterback for the New York Giants here, Michael. Fun stuff. They might be willing to pass it. We're gonna talk about it. We're gonna oh, talk. We're gonna about break it. it? Okay. Well, yeah, we're we're gonna hanging. we're gonna break it. We're gonna, a nice natural break there. Nice little teaser. So when we come back here on the Kiss and Solak show, we are going to preview the Giants' offense, what it looks like, and what it means to have Eli Manning in there instead of Daniel Jones. How they can test the Eagles. That's coming up next, right here on the Kiss and Solak show. Before history is written. It's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, Quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown, and through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. And we are back here on the Kist and Solak Show, episode 154, SB Nation, Bleeding Your Nation. Michael Kist here with Benjamin Solak. Ben, as you alluded to before the break, and I cut you off, sorry, buddy, I'm going to let you get into your little uh, Eli Manning thing here, since he is very likely going to be the starter. And of course, you know, it really doesn't change schematically for the Giants what's going to happen here. I think it does change a bit. I mean, Daniel Jones wasn't throwing the deep ball anyway. I think it threw like 10% frequency, something like that. It's towards the bottom of the league. But when you look at Jones, Jones is like, first read, okay, make the right read, get it out. He's pretty decent in that area. Eli Manning, as we've known him for the past three, four, five years, I even said it in the article that I put up on BGN, is a check down to check down quarterback instead of touchdown to check down as you often hear it. <laughs> Joke. That's what we're dealing with with Eli Manning comes to town. One thing I did note on the QB Score Show before I kick it to you, Ben, is this now makes tackling of great import for the Eagles because you're going to get a lot of Saquon Barkley in the flats. You're going to have to make tackles in space. The Eagles are one of the bottom five teams in the league, PFF rated for tackling. A lot of missed tackles along this defense as we've documented before. So that is the danger. We'll see if Eli Manning wants to go all 2017. Remember that boat race in 2017? Eli Manning, where they threw a bunch of double moves at the Eagles, and it was a, what, what they put up over. Who who was the cat that they had? Okay, I got to find this game now. <laughs> 2017. 
Right. He attempted 57 passes. <laughs> 29 to 34, the game ended. Let's, yep. No, so o- Odell was not active for this game, apparently. Right. 16 targets, 11 receptions, and 139 yards for one Sterling Shepard. Yep. Healthy usage. They ran so many double moves that game. That it was game? crazy. All oh, right, and Tavares, it was Tavares King. Tavares King had yes. two catches for seventy yards and two touchdowns. And Jalen Mills is still looking for him to this day. <laughs> he beat Mills up bad. Tavares King. That was where, and that was the last year of whoever the heck their offensive coordinator was before they moved on. It was ben McAdoo. Mm-hmm. That was last Ben McAdoo, and that was like Ben McAdoo trying to save his job. And he was like, "That didn't work," <laughs> um, but it was a valiant effort. So you watched Eli Manning this morning as you're kind of prepping for him. And what did you see from the film that you watched of him and how that kind of plays into what's going to happen maybe on Sunday? Or excuse me, on on Monday Night Football. Monday Night Football, baby. That is still the best game of Sterling Shepard's career. Yeah. Most targets, tied most receptions. Do you see what the Eagles do to some of these guys? Devontae Parker, best game of his career. Mike Gusecki, Mike best, game of, best game of his career. Sterling Shepard. you notice a theme? Is it Cody Latimer this week? Want to bet $300,000 this is the best game of Tavares King's career? <laughs> oh, God. Absolutely. He's, he's not playing anywhere right now. Yeah. Right. That was, that was the last game of his career. <laughs> Eagles ended this man's career, but on a two-reception, 70-yard, two-touchdown game on three targets. And the league said, nope. He's caught three touchdowns in his career, and two of them were in his last game ever, which was against the Philadelphia Eagles. Lord Almighty and adorable. Okay. That's amazing. Wow. This is uh, on show research with Kiss and Solak. Eli Manning yeah. in 2019. Mm-hmm. All right, actually, and we should not say Eli Manning in 2019. What we should say is Eli Manning across the course of the last few years. Namely, yeah. we can focus on the two years in which Mike Shula has been his offensive coordinator. As I said, Ben McAdoo released uh, following the uh, 2017 season of his duties as the Giants head coach, once and future Eagles head coach, uh, uh, Ben McAdoo this was. Pat Shermer was the offensive coordinator in Minnesota. If you remember, for Case Keenum, he was hired to be the head coach in New York. With him, he brought Mike Shula. Mike Shula was the offensive coordinator in Carolina for four seasons. He was the offensive coordinator there for their um, uh, Super Bowl run. And then he, uh, when he was released, then was hired in New York. Uh, He was released in large part as like a kind of Ron Rivera gambit to save his job, which as we now know, did not work, was not successful. And so so he's been the offensive coordinator now for New York for the past two years. What do you have from Shula? Well, so Shula was, uh, he's Alabama head coach for a while. He was in Carolina for for several years. Uh, I think he was in Jacksonville for a bit as well. He's a true West Coast guy. And so what you're going to see is honestly like a lot of stuff that he does in terms of the shotgun passing game reminded me a ton of what you got from Seattle uh, and what what you see from... Uh, from Brian Schottenheimer there. Now, what they don't have is as nearly as robust, word of the podcast, they don't have nearly as robust of a play-action passing game. They don't have the quite the same ability to go deep with their receivers. I think that with, with Darius Slayton, they really hit Darius Slayton, this fifth-round pick out of Auburn. He can burn. The cool thing that I, I discovered about Darius Slayton, so on the year 136 targeted air yards, uh, and that, that's 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 how uh, where he on average is targeted down the field, that is right next to uh, Philip Dorsett, 13.1, DJ Chark, 13.2, DK Metcalf, 13.2, Tyree Kill, 13.7, Devontae Parker, 13.7, Brashad Perriman, 13.8, John Brown, 13.9. There's just this little house 
of clear deep threats that are all just sitting at this this uh this depth of target like it's yeah. all uh players who win in similar ways um but so they found that deep guy with Darius Slayton but the rest of their receiver room is kind of built out to be short to intermediate guys and that's what they do when you go and you watch the Eli Manning film it's important to note that at the time they they really hadn't activated Slayton at all Golden Tate was in suspend was suspended and actually in Manning's second game against Buffalo uh, Shepard Sterling Shepard was out with injury and so Manning threw a lot of the 2019 stuff he's put on film uh, with Benny Fowler, Cody Latimer, uh, Russell Shepard, TJ Jones, uh, and then obviously Evan Ingram and Squam Barkley available. What you see from Manning is he's still highly functional as a three-step hitch and go, right? So we're, we're in the shotgun. We take the snap. It, it, it's a three-step drop. We, we work usually front side to back side, get to our, our, our second read at the latest and then we fire. And Manning's really good at, at pre-snap identification. Has been for a while. It's still effective for him. Uh, and he's got good placement still to the outside of the numbers, outside of the hashes, in between the hashes. He's still a good placement quarterback when things are, are, are tidy. Things are typically untidy at the NFL level. And that's where you need escapability. Yeah, you need pocket management. You need ball security. And you need uh, arm strength. The ability to throw from different release angles. Ability to throw from weird platforms. Manning still has good pocket management. You know, we we make a lot of fun of Eli Manning inappropriately. So 38 years old, love to take the mickey out of him. But I would do anything, of course, once managed a, a pocket like this. He's still a good pocket manager. He does not have athletic ability to escape if necessary, but good pocket manager. The arm strength is gone. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's he's not of an effective arm at this at this point in his career, so he cannot make late outbreaking throws. He cannot throw tight windows. It is not available to him. And then uh, 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 the ball security is actually something that's really really important to talk about. Daniel Jones is on a a historic a historic listen to me historic pace for fumbling the football. Yeah, he has fumbled the ball fifteen times mm-hmm. in eleven games. I watched three of them against the Jets, and oh. My goodness, Jamal Adams just ripped it out of his hands on one right. of them. Like his ball security is bad, man. It ain't all on the offensive line either, which is bad. Well, we'll and that's that. the thing is like, like, is it on the offensive line or not? Ball security is on the quarterback, period. Yep. Period. Now, I if agree. you're getting pressured within two and a half seconds all the freaking time, which let's talk about 2018 Eli Manning, who was sacked 47 times <laughs> over the course of 16 games. That offensive line was dreadful. Yeah. And and Manning had the benefit that, that Jones has not had of playing with a healthy offensive line for the first two games of the season. That context is worthy. But Manning was sacked two times in two games. Jones has been sacked 33 times in 11 games. Yeah. Manning put two balls on the dirt in two games, lost one of them. Jones, like I said, has put 15 balls on the dirt in 11 games. He's lost 10 of them. Yeah. Manning gets hit less, and he takes less sacks. Manning gets hit less because, like, he'll go down. At the breeze, which is, I mean, he's no quarterback that right. smart. Well, you know? I'm saying he gets hit less in terms of, like, he's better at getting rid of the ball. Oh, yeah. He does not invite pressure. He manages the pocket well. And he protects the ball when pressure is coming, which Jones does not do. Daniel Jones is the third slowest quarterback in the league right now at 2.9. He invites right. some of that pressure by himself. Eli does not. Right. Manning, over the first, uh, whatever, the, the first two games of this season, uh, around 2.65 was his number in terms of his time to throw which is about league average if you go back to 2018 Mm -hmm. you again find him at about 265 and that was over the course of a 16 game season with shula so even with an improved offensive line manning is still a little bit better than league average a little bit quicker i should say league average uh at getting rid of the football relative to jones who holds onto it for a while so the giants team will immediately get better 
because Manning is not going to turn the ball over nearly as much. He simply won't. And like Manning interceptions have been a problem. We all know that. Uh, uh, Daniel Jones has 11 interceptions over the course of the 11 games that he's played. Manning had two interceptions in two games that he played, but Manning generally is not going to make as dumb of passes as Jones has. The ball security and the not taking of sacks in the pocket is what matters. This offense is more likely to stay on schedule, not give up short fields, and critically, uh, even out time of possession, even out drive length, and actually get punts. And when they get punts, they flip field position. So immediately, Manning helps the defense almost more than he helps the offense in terms of he's not going to make as many backbreaking mistakes. So we start there. Manning's going to make the offense worse than Daniel Jones is in terms of, uh, and Jones, like the, it, it, you can't, you can't really say wash away the critical mistakes because they're critical mistakes. You can't just do that. Yeah. But if you look at what they can possibly bring Jones one has significantly more zip on the football. Mm-hmm. And so he's able to hit guys in stride. He's able to hit guys in time. He's able to attack tight windows and he pushes the ball down the field. He doesn't have a strong arm down the field, but he, he's willing to throw it down the field and he's capable of throwing it down the field. Manning does not have this period does not have this period. He does not test down the field, does not want to test down the field. And when he does, it's a duck and you should be able to make plays on the football mm-hmm. with Manning. You're going to see three-step and hitch, read front and side, uh, curl flat, hitches, pirate, freaking whatever else, you know, in-breaking, slants, whatever base West Coast, concept, West Coast concept you want. Anything that's breaking within eight yards of the line of scrimmage, man is going to throw and he's going to throw it quick. This is an off-coverage game for Philadelphia. This is a get your corners eight yards off the ball, let them squat, let them play downhill. This is a Derby game. Now... Yeah. 2017 double moves honestly if Manning can hit him sure I don't think he can yeah I don't I mean like 20 yards down the field he can obviously but I really don't think he can hit him consistently uh and it's worth noting that this team is going to have their pass catchers potentially healthy for the first time all season they have not had a game yet this year in which Darius Slayton Golden Tate Sterling Shepard and Evan Ingram have all played Mm. Ingram and Tate are fighting to be ready for Monday Night Football if they are then we have to ask the conversation about, okay, are they going to be more able to go deep than they were previously? But Manning's not going to be able to hit Slayton. He's never played with Slayton. He's not going to be able to hit him consistently down the field. And then Shepard and Ingram win in the underneath areas. So expect the quick passing game. Expect a lot of what Atlanta did. You have to be able to come up, rally, and tackle. You have to be able to survive uh, against play action. You have to have smart linebackers. They run the little, oh, play action, tight end screen, running back fake screen, you know, heavy misdirection stuff, splitting the field, a lot of across motion before the snap, which which is Carolina-y stuff. So you have to have smart linebackers for that. But generally speaking, keep everything in front of you, spot drop cover three, off coverage, rally and tackle. They're not going to be able to generate a ton of movement on you, and they're not going to get explosive plays. Continuing on that same thread of what they just look like schematically, this offense lives out of 11 personnel. A lot of two-by-one sets, so two receivers on one side, one on the other, everything room on the field, obviously. Uh, They aren't really going to challenge you from a mental perspective when you talk about how they stress defensive backfield. There's a lot of high-low reads, especially from a stack where they bring two receivers closer to the line. There's where you get your whip route paired with your corner route. It's all very basic stuff, and Eli's going to read the corner and then figure out and then check it down. They're also going to splash the flats on both sides. You know, watching the Jets game, the Jets brought nickel corners on blitzes from the two wide receiver side, safeties from the tight end side. 
those guys were typically picked up by the running back, and Saquon Barkley has had struggles picking those things up effectively, not only from a mental perspective, but I think from a physical perspective as well. It's something that he himself has said he needs to work on, especially with his technique. When they do spread it out more, there's really not much complexity there either. For instance, they're going to split Barkley out wide as a coverage identifier and then waste him as a decoy as they run like a Haas concept, which means he's just going to take a couple steps and chill to hold this man while they get the slot guy. He runs a fade. Eli, Eli's really not going to take that shot once it's wide open. It's extremely predictable for a defense to see coming. Even when they go trips, like they'll, they'll clear it out with slants and they'll bring Barkley under to the flats. That's something with Eli. I think they're going to work a lot, but it's still really basic stuff right there. And it, it, as Barkley is a matchup nightmare for a linebacker, he is having a down year because I still think he's struggling with that high ankle sprain that he came back from too early. So it, along with that, the offense isn't doing him any favors because they have a real knack for telling you when they want to run. Whenever you see a wide receiver motion into the line as a sniffer or close to it when they get condensed, their run looks are so divorced from their pass looks. And th this is what I mean when they really don't put too much stress on a defensive collective brain. For the most part, it's pretty obvious what they're trying to do from a pre-snap look and shifts and motions. You can key on this offense really well. And even when they run from spread, for example, you're getting zone runs and Saquon Barkley's foot, you know, his, his pre-snap stance is giving you a lot of keys of when he's going outside or when he's going inside. And this line isn't making the blocks anyway. So it doesn't matter. Towards the bottom of the, the uh, bottom of the league in adjusted line yards for this uh for this offensive line. So they're not doing him any favors. Barkley, like I said, is banged up. They're not complex as an offense. They're very easy to read. We'll see if they come out with a new diverse game plan with Eli Manning, but I really doubt it, especially considering this news is dropping later on in the week. Even when you look at this offensive line, look, we can talk about how Nate Solder hasn't lived up to his giant contract there or close to it, and he hasn't. But I'll tell you what, when he went down against the Jets, life with him got a hell of a lot worse when Eric Smith had to fill in. If Derek Barnett gets a chance to work against Eric Smith... Eric Smith. <laughs> if you ask me for any information about Eric Smith beyond his name and his current occupation, I would not be able to give it to you. I had to Google it. And even with Solder in there, you know, you go to PFF as we do each week for their O-line, D-line matchup chart. The Giants have the worst matchup in pass pro of the week. So Philadelphia, again should be able to eat and have been eating. They've been getting improved performance. Derek Barnett ate against a, a bad tackle last week. Timmy Jernigan really, really came on, which is super awesome for this defense because they've been lacking that second defensive tackle. And he, this is the first time that we've seen shades of 2017 Jernigan since 2017. So that's a really good sign to Fletch City. Like this offensive line is not good. Like Will Hernandez is going to be a good one. But other than, other than that, like, n nobody is really holding up against this Eagles pass rush, in my opinion. So they Who's should be able to center? get after Jalapio? Jalapio, who they extended after last year, after he was, like, their third option, right? Something like that, because they had some yeah, injuries. Yeah, I, I, I don't think I don't think he's awful. I think he's all right. All right against Fletcher Cox is getting your sandwich yeah, eaten, right, you know sure. what I mean? Uh, and then Zyler plays well, obviously. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah, Zyler. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I don't know. Is he, is he expected to play, Zeitler? I, I know he's. Uh, I know he's banged up. We'll get with the uh, injury report tomorrow. It's coming out a little bit late because it's a Monday night game. I don't see him on this injury report that I currently have. But oh, anyway, he might be. Uh, he might be all, yeah. all healthy, which will be big for him because he is playing all right. I thought he played right. better last year, but he's playing solid. Which like Hernandez, Jalapio, and Zeitler should survive. They should be fine. And right. like they're gonna get Fletch and, and, and Jernigan on twists. They're gonna get him up against those tackles. They're gonna get him in the B gaps. They're going to be successful there. But yeah, you'd expect the Eagles' edges to be more successful when you've got Remmers and Solder slash uh, mm. 
Eric Smith, I already forgot his name. And for as decent as the interior is, they are having problems with like three man stunts, which the right. Eagles have been incorporating with their bliss packages more and more recently. Yeah. Now it's when this team wants to run with Barkley, and we should talk about Saquon. Yeah. This is a nice conversation. When this team wants to run with Barkley, they you they want to get Barkley to the outside. And I think that they've been trying to do that less and less this year. Hmm. As they've gotten worse and worse play out of their tackles. Um, Red Ellison being down is a big deal. Good because blocker. I'm here to tell you, you know, I've solved the Eagles. Uh, I've solved the Giants offense. I figured it out. When Evan Ingram is lined up as a hand in the dirt in line tight end, Mike. <laughs> it's a pass. Yep. It's not a run. And this is what I'm telling you with their running pass right. looks. It's very obvious. You're not going to well, have... Right. I mean, this is... this. this if they're, they're an honor center running team and they're a shotgun passing team and they've never really Deviated coalesced. They never yeah. really, you know, uh, talked those two ideas together. Right. Yeah. So it's 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 pretty distinct, right? You If you go and like one of the things that, that we do in prep is like I'll search like, you know, like Eli Manning passing attempts and I'll watch those and I'll search like Saquon Barkley runs and it's like, oh, these are two different offenses. Cool. Right. Yeah, exactly. That's what I mean when they're so divorced from each other. And it's pretty obvious. Again, like I, I like to say, you want to look good with the people you're talking with, uh, you're watching the game with. Just watch for Evan Ingram. And if he's got his hand in the dirt next to the tackle, they like, oh, it's probably a pass here. Mm-hmm. You're going to be right a lot. Look, out, look at uh, Saquon Barkley's uh, feet when he's aligned in a, in a shotgun. If his left foot is staggered back from his right foot or the outside foot is staggered back from the inside foot, he's coming inside either for a fake or an inside run. Like literally every time. Very, yep. very easy tell. So it's not not a complex uh, pre-snap look <laughs> on the offense. But anyway. Saquon Barkley, though, let's let's go back to him. Yards per carrier down a full yard. Hasn't had a 100-yard game since week two. Hasn't had a touchdown since week eight. Down season for him, he's banged up. Right, and, and, and it's clear. So Barkley initially went down with a high ankle sprain in week four. Uh, and this was a injury that he came back from on a really abbreviated timeline. Stupid. He was, yeah which he was back and taking snaps by week eight. So he, no, week seven, excuse me, yeah. week seven. So he missed a total of three weeks uh, with, a, with a high ankle sprain. He was initially given a four to six week timeline. Now, Barkley mm. is a freakazoid, athlete, human. Maybe he's capable of coming back from a high ankle sprain on an abbreviated timeline because he's a freakazoid athlete, monster person. But, but do you it's see the at Barkley? the cost of your freakazoid monster humanness, and so right. you're not as effective of a, as, as a player. Barkley is a good running back who's continuing to play well, but he's not nearly the world breaker that he was, and it's because he's playing on a bad ankle. Mm-hmm. That's not going away. And the little things in his game that are flaws, for instance, you know, having a tendency to bounce things, maybe not hitting the right hole all the time, which he himself has has said he's having issues with. Those are are those are magnified when you don't have the same freakazoid world-beating ability to create in space and make those broken plays work jordan howard's still not clear for contact oh breaking doug doesn't think it's season ending he's been out for three weeks with a stinger he's not clear for contact on wednesday it's gonna be four it's gonna be four weeks going on five since the injury happened why can't we just say out loud that he's it's more than a a more significant injury like why do we have to players are telling reporters under under the protection of anonymity that this is more than a stinger for howard that they think it's more than a stinger for howard all we've heard it's a stinger this is the the, welcome to the kissed and stinger show (laughs) anyway so barkley not as effective exactly as you say mike it's it's his issues as a player minimized by his extreme athleticism are maximized 
when you see what he is like at 75%, at 80%. Furthermore, I think they've they've changed the way they want to run. I think when you look at Barkley's first year, when you look at his reps and he was healthy, a lot of toss, a lot of outside zone, a lot of pin pull, trying to get this guy outside of the tackles. He's at his most effective in space. He was incorporated in the screen game, in the swing game. Now it's more inside stuff because the open field agility is not there as much as it once was. So I also think that there's a a change in philosophy and how they want to run Barkley. And Barkley is going to be at his best when he's outside the tackles. And so you're, you have to deploy him in a situation where he's not as good because of the limits that he has physically. Now it's going to be very interesting to see what we get. Cause I would argue like we really don't know how it's supposed to look. Golden Tate misses the first four games of the year. Sterling Shepard misses week six through week 11. Evan Ingram misses week six, week 10, week 11, week 12, week 13, uh, Saquon Barkley misses week four, week five, week six. They, again, this team has not had Golden Tate, Sterling Shepard, Evan Ingram, and Saquon Barkley all in the field at the same time yet this year. Throw in Darius Slay in there as well. They haven't done that either. Mm-hmm. So we don't know exactly how it's supposed to look, and we probably won't this year because Barkley probably won't get healthy. Evan Ingram is still coming back from, I think, a foot. Uh, Golden Tate may not be able to clear the concussion protocol, but I, I, I there there's space for this offense to be more dynamic in terms of how it gets his athletes working than it currently is and i think that just as daniel jones becomes a more consistent player in the pocket you'll see that but for the immediate time frame with philadelphia you have a very limited quarterback likely throwing to a less than 100 percent receiving core looking to just survive on nickels and dimes and of course philadelphia's been looking to survive on nickels and dimes for the past eight weeks that's a whole nother problem you're really not at a big threat for explosive passing plays even with what you just put out on film against the Dolphins because Manning does not play the same game Fitzpatrick does and you're not at a threat for huge ripoff Barkley runs because he's at 75 to 80 percent this offense does not generate explosive plays which is good for Philadelphia they're really weak in that regard so this is a rally and tackle game that should play better into the defense's strengths this should look more so like the Bears game this should look more so like the Buffalo game in terms of the def- and even the New England game, right? In terms of the defensive performance, mm-hmm. you have to tune in tomorrow to hear about how the Eagles' offense is going to do. But that's the first half. Is that you know this this should not be a game where the Eagles have to score thirty seven to beat the the New York Giants. That will not be the case. If they do, that's great. But I don't think they're going to have to, which is good news. So let's go to the DraftKings sportsbook. Since you brought up uh, some of the scoring there, right now the line the Eagles are nine and a half point favorites. The over under is set at forty five point five. Quick math that I definitely didn't do before the show. That means Vegas is saying it's around 28 to 18. Ben, does the Giants offense score more than 18 points? I am at a even as down as I am on this defense. I think it's a bounce back game. Doesn't have a whole lot to do with them. I'm going to go with the under. I think 18 is the right number. You know what I mean? Like I don't right. feel strongly either way. If I had to guess, I would say under because I, I do expect a big must-win divisional, keep-our-hopes-alive playoff game. So I would expect it to be strong. Obviously, this this team has been good against Eli for a while now. Uh, and so you, you also do expect them to, to familiar opponent, familiar deployment, understand what he's going to try to do, understand how to uh, rattle him, how to get pressure on him. I mean, they know the Giants well, even though they haven't played them this year. So yeah, I, I, I would guess under 18, but 18 feels like the right spot. For, mm. for Manning and, and for what we should expect from this Giants offense. I mean, in, in the two games they played against Dallas and Buffalo, they put up 17 and 14. So, yeah, I would say that 18 is pretty much the correct number. Yeah, I'm probably going to put them right at 17. 17 yeah. sounds sounds good for me. So I'm going to take the under. you got to tune in for the next Kiston Solak show to find out our final score predictions. That's going to be 
what Friday? That'll be Friday. You're gonna be prepped by then, Ben. We're gonna make we're gonna we're gonna make a uh, sweet sweet podcast music together tomorrow. What is this? Hmm? Why is it? Am I gonna be prepped by then? <laughs> as if it's all me. I haven't even as looked if at the you could record the podcast time. right now. Yeah. <laughs> I, I couldn't. I couldn't. So we have some work to do in prep for the Giants defense. But Ben, say goodbye to the gentle, gentle listeners. And if you can, please try to elevate them on your way out. Love of God. <laughs> Thank you as always for listening to the Kiss and Swag Show here on BGN Radio. We do appreciate you swinging by. Uh, of course, elevate uh, harder. Okay. Uh, Thank you so much for elevating to the Kiss and Solak show. We do appreciate you elevating by. As always, if you elevated the show, please elevate, elevate, elevate on whatever app you listen to your podcast. Not motivational uh, enough. Your teammates it, hate you right now. I'm so proud of you. You did such a good job listening. And you did great and with the earplug. That was awesome. And how you put one headphone in and the one other not in so you could listen to a person while listening at the same time. That was genius. You just made Nelson Aguilar drop a ball, Ben. I did. Elevate harder. <laughs> Uh, if you enjoyed the preview show, if you if you ele- if it elevated you, uh, then there'll be another preview show to elevate you again. Uh, it'll be the Eagles' defense. Nope, it'll be the Eagles' offense against the Giants' defense. Uh, that'll be coming to you, like Mike said, probably on Friday. Yeah, talk about how people are elevating us yeah. on with the Spotify thing. That's pretty cool. Oh yeah, if you Spotify 2019 Wrapped, if you listen to podcasts on Spotify and you they tell you what you listen to, they'll tell you which podcast you listen to the most. And if we're on there. Tag us and post a picture, and then we'll feel good about ourselves. We'll feel elevated. It will elevate us. There you um, found it. Yes, I was there. The sweet spot of elevation. We need yes. Cortland Sullivan. Like we need, we need you to be Cortland Sutton to our Drew Lock. Did you just say Cortland Sullivan? I I retook it, so I'm gonna edit that part. <laughs> Maybe I liked it. <laughs> ah. He's been Benjamin Solak on Twitter at Benjamin Solak. That's Stop S-O-L-A-K. doing. I've been Michael Kiss on Twitter at Michael Kiss. NFL. It's K S D. Thank you so much for listening. This is our. Very confusing show. We will talk to you tomorrow. We all we got. We all we need. Elevate Eagles Elevate. (laughs) We're obnoxious. BGN. Support for this show comes from HubSpot. More to do's, less time and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You just need HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high quality leads, fast closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.